0: Okay. If it does something funny, let me know, because you'll know before I do. Um, Can you hear me okay? Great. Well, um, thank you very much for letting me come and talk to you today. It's very brave of you. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name's Liz, and I'm married to Shola. Shola's a Nigerian. Where else could we live in the world? We are the human embodiment of the Toon army, the black and white army. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're very happy to be here and enjoy the weather. Um, before I start, can I just put a plug in for something that's not mine? Um, you'll see why this is relevant, but I've been reading this book called The Culture of Honor by Danny Sill. It's a fantastic book. I'm sure a number of you have read it, but um, it's had me a bit choked up at times, I will warn you about that. Um, but it's really fantastic and really easy to read. The other book I'm going to recommend is this one. This is a little version, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, but this is also outstanding. Um. So, this morning I'm going to talk on the book of Ruth. I am part two. The lovely Laura was part one. Oh no, the gizzy's not working, is it? Oh. It's often the little things, isn't it, like turning it on. Yay! (laughs) So, last week in the Book of Ruth, Laura and I were discussing how do we split up the Book of Ruth between the two of us. Um, And um, so, last week, Laura spoke about Naomi, and I feel very kindly gave me Ruth. And just to recap for those of you that weren't here last week, Laura spoke about um, Ruth being a book of hope a book of honor, we see um, hope in the most challenging of circumstances. Honor, honor, giving honor to different people. Perseverance, in spite of circumstances, to keep on pressing on, keep on perseverance. Personal sacrifice, both Naomi and Ruth were willing to give up absolutely everything for each other, Um, huge personal sacrifice on their part. And then um, Lara spoke about your heart. We can't always change the circumstances around us, but we do have um, control over our heart and how we handle situations, how we deal with people, how we, how we deal with the circumstances around us. And then this sense of the story going from a place of emptiness and nothing, a family moving from famine, and then a woman losing her husband and children, losing everything she had, this emptiness moving to a place of fullness where God gave them everything back and more. And very briefly, um, because I'm not going to read the four chapters out. There are only four chapters. It's a short and easy book to read, but um, you've got a story of a family who lived in Bethlehem, and a famine came to Bethlehem. And so Naomi and her husband moved to the land of Moab, where they heard there was plenty, and ended up setting up home there. But while they were there, um, Naomi's husband died, and she was widowed. And then she had two sons, they married two women, but then her sons died. And so you had a widow with two daughters-in-law who were also widowed. So a woman left with nothing in a place and a land which wasn't her own. And so one thing led to another, and one of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, moved with Naomi back to, to Naomi's homeland. And um, and and that's where we see the story that I'm going to talk about a bit more today come into play. So Ruth, why was Ruth written? It comes in after Judges. It's a bit of a. It's quite a lot of. Heaviness in the Bible before you get the book of Ruth. You've got Leviticus and all the, and Deuteronomy and all these laws, and you've got Judges. And, you know, why is this lovely little story tucked in at the end of that? I mean, it's nice to have a nice story, but why is it there? One thing I really realize with the Bible, the more I study it, is that things aren't in it by mistake. And um, it's a story of redemption. God's, it's part of the history of God continually redeeming his people. And, um, and it is an amazing story, because it's the story of God pursuing people, pursuing um, a redemption of the story of his people. And throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, again and again, you see God redeeming his people. Because God loves his people. God... Oops, God loves us so much that he doesn't want us in any way to be separated. He wants a good story for us. He wants, he wants us to be whole. And so that history of redemption started, you see the story of Adam and Eve, God walking in the garden, that is always his desire to have that intimacy and relationship with us. And throughout the history of his people, Adam and Eve, um, we know the story there. But from that point onwards, right the way through to Jesus, God is bringing redemption because he wants a relationship with his people. He wants us in right relationship with him. And, um, and he's pursuing us. He's pursuing you. So I'm going to give you a bit of... Um, History. When I was researching this, I, I feel really privileged because and I, we live in Bencham in Gateshead, and Bencham has got one of the largest Hasidic sects of Jews, which is one of the, the ultra Orthodox sect of Jews, I think, in Europe. Um, and, um, and they've actually been living in Bensham since the late 1800s. And it's, I find it an ama- amazing privilege because in many ways they bring the Old Testament to life for us. Because you see a lot of the culture, you see a lot of the celebrations, and, and you sort of start to understand some of, the, some of the things we read about in the Old Testament and don't really understand. Um, you also appreciate some of what we've been saved out of and some of the law that, that has been taken away through Jesus. Because, you know, there's, some, there's one situation where I was walking back from bonfire night at Saltwell Park one year. I think I looked quite safe. I had one child strapped to my chest and two in either hand. And I was walking along this road, and, and one of the Jewish mums came running out and said to me, Excuse me. Um, um, do you mind helping me? One of the children's turned the light switch on in their bedroom and and it's Shabbat and and I can't turn it off and they're not going to get to sleep. And, and And they live under such strict laws that she knew and the children knew that they weren't able to turn that light switch off because it was Shabbat, it was the Sabbath and, and to turn off a light switch would be work. So so in we all trudge up the stairs, you know, and turn the light off for them so their kids can go to bed. But you know, that's a little bit of an idea of what we've been saved from. But one thing I also know is we've got a huge amount to learn from the Jews. And while I was researching this um, and, and reading about it, I, um, I came across this rabbinical teaching, and it was fantastic. Um, and um, I've pinched his slides. <laughs> um, but it's really helpful because it helps us understand the extent of the story of redemption that we do find in the book of Ruth. So so in the book of Genesis, and I'll, I'll let you find these stories, but there are two stories, um, and, and there's a theme of seduction running through, so the Bible can get a bit raunchy at times. So you've got the story here of Lot, and... Um, sodom and gomorrah was destroyed and and his daughters seduced their father they got him drunk and um one thing led to another and, and lot and one of his daughters had a child um, and this the hebrew is moab we would call him moab um, but um they seduced their father and one of the children of that seduction was moab and ruth's a descendant of moab and and you know, this is a story where Lot should have been kind and cared and, and honoured his daughters, and he didn't in so many ways. And, and it's a very tragic story. And then we have another story in the Old Testament, in Genesis as well. And you have this couple, you have, you have this man, Judah, and you have this woman, Tamar, and it's another seduction story. Um, and, and Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute. And the result of that is Judah didn't know who she was, but she ended up conceiving a child. And, and the, the children that um, Judah and Tamar had were Perez and Zerah. And seven generations after this, a man called Boaz was born. And again, it's another story of seduction. Judah didn't know it was Tamar. Um, and he had a choice with her. He, it it sort of all came out into the open that this woman was pregnant, and you know, although Widow was still classed as having had an adulterous relationship, the fact she was now pregnant. And Judah could have chosen not to acknowledge that actually he was the father of the child when the evidence was presented. And yet, he chose to recognize um, Tamar and, and took her to be his wife. So you have these, these stories. You have um, the story of seduction with Lot and his daughters. You have the story with Judah and the seduction with Tamar, and then you have a third story of seduction. So, as um, Lara mentioned last week, Naomi told Ruth to, you know, go and have a shower, put your nice perfume on, and do your hair up nicely, get the straighteners out, um, you know, go and make an effort. And so Ruth did all of this, and then she went and sat at Boaz's feet. He'd had a nice meal, he'd had a little bit too much to drink, um, and and she could have, really let it go. They both could have let it go um, to a place they shouldn't have done, but they didn't. They both t- treated one another in a ve- very honourable manner. And so you see now through these two stories the way God's wanting to re- redeem the history of his people. So you've got this situation with Lot and his daughters where there's um, you know, bad stuff gone on, You've got Judah and Tamar. Bad stuff's gone on. You know these two seduction stories, and and God wants to bring redemption to the history of His people. And then you have you have um, Boaz and Ruth at the bottom there, and they sort of bring these two stories, these two biblical stories, together. Um, and And they don't sin with one another. And actually, they're incredibly honorable to one another. Um, And they honor not only each other, but the history and the culture, the way they actually um, go about, uh, the way Boaz goes about acting as the kinsman redeemer. Um, There's a sort of shoe thing that goes on. it's sort of from a time even before theirs, but it's honouring their culture, it's honouring their history. And so you've got God redeeming the history of his people through Boaz and Ruth. God is continually pursuing and redeeming his people until the time that Jesus came. Jesus is the once and for all redeemer for the history of his people and for us. You know, he is pursuing you, he's pursuing each one of us. And um, you know, if you're here or if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus, it's because he is pursuing you, because he wants a good relationship with you. That's been the history of the Old Testament, God wanting relationship with his people. And the New Testament and the story of Jesus, that's what Jesus wants with each one of us. He wants a good, healthy relationship where, where, where we can hear and recognize his voice, where we can know him and be known. So what else do we learn from the story of Ruth? Again, in um, Judaism, they've got a number of very important pillars. And, and one of these, um, these sort of key pillars is the concept of hesed, which is kindness and recognition. And so in the story of Lot, we see broken kindness. Lot should have been to say the least kind to his daughters and he did some terrible things to them before and then at the point of allowing them to seduce him and he broke kindness and um, with Judah this whole idea this this sense of recognition these are very important in the Judaic faith And they would say that you would have a foundation of recognition, and on that, you have the building of kindness. And when you know you are recognized, you will then extend kindness to people around you, to your community, to your family. And I would suggest that we have two two things in, in our culture that should be equally important. And I suggest to you that the foundation in all of our lives should be that of identity. And what does that mean? That means knowing who I am, knowing who God has made me, knowing who God's called me to be, and knowing who God's called you to be as well. And when you have that foundation of identity in your life, the building that you can put on top of it is honour because it's coming out of a place of security. It's honouring one another. It's honouring those you're in relationship with. But if you don't have that foundation of identity, you can't do the other thing because it becomes works. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these are verse, this is a verse that we're all very familiar with. Um, and it trips off the tongue. But I suggest to you that in our society the hardest part of that isn't loving our neighbor, it's loving yourself. And the problem we have in our society is that we're bombarded in every direction, from, from magazines and TV saying, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too tall, you're too short. You know, why don't you, you buy this product and you can do this? Or why don't you come to this and you can have this little bit of surgery and nip and a tuck here and you look amazing? You know, we're constantly bombarded with all these images. You know. The magazines, they're full of Photoshop people. But it's telling us, it's, it's, it's feeding us a lie that, you know, this is what you should look like. This is what perfection's like. This is what you want to be aiming to be like. And, and it makes it very hard for us to not start coming into agreement with that lie. Because actually, what is the truth? God has made you perfectly. You know, who has God made you? God has spent time making you. He hasn't just thrown you together as like, oh, a few little bits of leftovers. that. Whoa, look at Liz. No, no, no. God has spent time with each one of us. He, the Bible says he knits us together in our mother's womb. Um, I'm not very good at knitting. In fact, I don't knit at all anymore. Because every time I tried to knit a square, I ended up with a triangle. And at that point, I gave up. But, you know, God, God spent time knitting. He spent time creating us. He spent time over us. He thought, you know, I want, I want you to look like this. I'd like you to have this hair color. What do I want you to sound like? You know, what, what sort of personality do I want you to have? And then he's like, oh, this is really great. Look at this amazing person I'm creating. What gifts can I give them? What are the things that I can put into that person? You know that's who your father is he's somebody who spent time making you he spent time thinking about you he hasn't just thrown you together he's enjoyed creating you you know it gave him pleasure to knit you together in your mother's womb do you love yourself because he really loves you your father really loves you what's your identity do you know that you're a loved son and daughter of the King of Kings? Do you know that he sent his son to to bridge that gap so that you could come into relationship with him because he really loves you and he's pursuing you. And he doesn't stop pursuing us even when we're in relationship. You know, Liz, where have you been? I've not seen you this last week. like, oh, sorry. You know, he's constantly there saying, actually, I want to spend time with you. I enjoy you. I love you. He made you so you could have a relationship with him, so he could have a relationship with you. You know, and your father is always calling out the gold in you. It's very easy for us to hold back from things because, you know, someone might say, actually, um, can you come help pray at the end of the service? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. And it's like, okay, that's fine. So you go off to get a coffee. But why did you say no? Well, if they knew what was in my heart, they wouldn't have asked me to come and pray. If they knew what I was really thinking, they wouldn't have asked me to come and pray. But Ashley, I know that you've got a gift. I know that you've got something that will set people free. And a lot of the time, you know, we hold back because we see these things, but actually, God's forgiven you. And, and we're all a work in progress. None of us is perfect. You know, even Mary Poppins was still only <laughs> practically perfect. You know, we, um, we're still works in progress. And actually, we need to stop holding back because the biggest battle we often have is, is between our ears. And I say that to one of my children in particular, you know, the biggest battle you are facing is between your ears. Because the reality is, God, God has made you, and he's put so much in you, and he's gifted you, and he's constantly calling out the gold in you. Oh, it's died. I'll sort it out in a minute. So... You know, I said the other week in a notice, you know, we're, we're one be- body made of many parts, and actually you might be the hand, and and the hand's a really important part of the body, but if you're the hand, you're like, oh, I can't do anything because I'm a bit mucky, you know, the whole body's suffering because... You're not, you're not taking that place. You're not playing your part. And actually, yeah, by all means, get your hand washed. But don't not be the role of the hand because we as the body need you. You know, we are all forgiven. Um, Peter did a great preacher a few weeks back that actually you are forgiven. The point Jesus died, you were forgiven. You know, he took your sin at Calvary. You're forgiven. And um, so who is God saying you are? What are the gifts that he's given you? Because actually, we all need you. We all need each other to play, play the part that God has called us to play, th- to be the part of the body that God has made us. I think it's... Um, we'll give up on the slides. <laughs> <laughs> so in this story, we see a story of, um, of honour where Na- Naomi... Was honored so much by Ruth. And, um, and Danny Silk, who wrote the book Culture of Honor, he talks a lot about this. And he's often asked the question what is honour? So he said, A culture of honour is created as a community of people learn to see people in their God given identities. Acknowledging who God says people are will position us to receive the gift of who they are in our lives and communities. It's learning to see people in their God-given identities. It's very easy for us to see each other. When you get to know someone, it's very easy to see people's weaknesses and failings. But actually, God's not asking us to look at the obvious. He's saying, who've I said that person is? Because he wants us to call that out of one another. He wants us to encourage one another. And actually, as we call out those God-given identities of people, we all get blessed. The whole community gets blessed. You know, what are we declaring over each other? Are we declaring the obvious and the dirt? Are we declaring over one another the the goodness, the gold, the future that that God has for them? Earlier when we were praying, um Jez um, Jez had a, had a word and he said, you know, it's a bit cliched but it's, um, it's the, the I see the caterpillar turning into a butterfly and it's very easy to see the caterpillar, isn't it? But actually God wants us to call out the butterfly. He wants us to call out the butterfly and each other. When I um, first arrived at this church I think it was Alan said that I looked squashed. Um, and um, <laughs> I felt squashed, and and one of the things that Alan and the leaders in this church are amazing at is releasing people into the fullness of all that God's got for them. And there are many of us can testify to the freedom that we found in this place, and um and I like to think that I'm becoming unsquashed, um and part of that is this, you know, because this is this has come at a cost to the leaders in the church you know people with a teaching gift like to teach but actually for me to stand up here and they've i've not done a like proper preach before but for me to stand up here and do a proper proper preach you know someone else isn't preaching you know one of the elders isn't teaching i'm doing it and that is because they are releasing me and calling out the gold in me. And that's an amazing thing. And I encourage you, you know, like one thing I did say when I came to this church is if I'm asked to do it, I'm going to take the step of faith and the boldness and I'm going to do it. And I encourage you, let these guys, let the leaders in this church call the gold out of you. Give, you know, you, you have to sort of, you know, be a little bit brave in it. But let them call it out because sometimes it's easier for them to see stuff in us than we even see in ourselves. So Ruth demonstrated honor, firstly to Naomi, and um, it was amazing the way she honored Naomi. She herself gave up everything, um, you know, she had no hope really, leaving her people as a Moabite woman who was hated by the Jews, she left her people to move with with Naomi. to a people who are not her people, who didn't like her, with no hope in the natural of having a husband, with no hope in the natural of having children. Ruth demonstrated honor to God. And in the Hebrew word for God that um, Ruth uses when she says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, she uses the word for God of, you know, of, of, of a father. She's in relationship with him. And, and so she was honoring God. She knew her father's voice. She was honoring him and to Boaz, that whole seduction scene could have gone really a long way down the wrong path and it didn't, she honored Boaz. And it was the way that Ruth honored Naomi that brought her to the attention of the farm workers and Boaz. In Ruth chapter two, verse 10 to 13, it says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And actually, you know, it's how we treat one another, how we honor one another, that sets us apart from the world around us. And actually, it's something really powerful, because it's something the the world's looking for. And and it's something that will draw people in, because they know that actually, yeah, I might be a bit of a mess, but if I go to that place, they're still going to love me. They're still going to call out the gold in me. You know, there's an amazing situation um, in band practice a while back, and um, a homeless couple came in off the streets, and you know it was band practice, and we were all up on the stage, sort of strumming away, singing away, and and Lynn Gowland, who leads the band, she she stepped off the stage and she went up to them and she said hello to them. She said, "Have you eaten anything? Do you want something to eat or drink?" And um and and so she then went into the kitchen, left the band practice carrying on. She went and she got them some food, she got them drinks. But the thing above all of that that I thought was absolutely amazing was she got a table out, but she didn't just get a table out because these tables are a bit like school dinner hall tables, they're not great. She went and got a tablecloth and she put the tablecloth on the table and she served the food on the tablecloth on the table. You know, and that to me speaks of amazing honour. She could; would have been doing an amazing thing, just loving these guys by, you know, meeting their needs, giving them a drink, giving them some food, but actually what did she do? She went the extra mile. She put a tablecloth on the table. She honoured them as welcome invited guests, and that's honour, and that's something really powerful. A um, quote from one of the ladies in this church who I was talking to, I was saying what I was thinking about sharing, and um, the lovely Nick Barnsley was saying, you honour someone when it costs you. Honour has to look like something. It's more than just saying, oh, that's great, or you're amazing. You know, honour has to cost you. Honouring Naomi and God on the face of it costs Ruth absolutely everything. Words can be quite meaningless if they're not backed up with action. How are you honouring those people around you? You know, if honour has to look like something, how are you honouring God? What does that look like for you? You know, for, for me, certainly, that looks like time. You know, giving him time, making space in, in my diary, in my life, to spend time with him. What about your friends? What does honor look like in your friendships? Are they one way where you like take, 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 or are they two way? You know, though, in friendships, sometimes it is a bit more one way than the other. But overall, what do your friendships look like? How are you honoring your friendships? What about your spouse if you're married? You know, what does honoring your spouse look like? You know, are you preferring one another? Are you putting down the things that you really want to do to to bless them and release them into things that they really want to do? Because actually, if you're both doing that for one another, you'll go so far. But, you know, how are you honoring your spouse? What about children? Um, Shola and I have got four children. And so, again, for me, honoring my children a lot of the time can look like time. Time with each of them. And um, if you catch me midweek unannounced, you will think that there's been some horrendous explosion happened from the inside out. There is stuff everywhere, and and it is just stuff. Like, there is dirty laundry across every floor in every part of the house. And actually, I find that quite stressful, when you're sat down and you're staring at three pairs of dirty underpants, um, sat, looking at you. And, And actually, you know, honoring my kids can sometimes mean like, sitting down and reading a story with them, or listening to the latest Minecraft thing, you know, whatever it might be, and ignoring the dirty undies and the dirty whatever else on the floor. And then afterwards, dealing with it. But, you know, what, what does honoring our children look like? Um, the other week I was saying, if, if, you want an, if you've got kids in the church, then we want you to help out with the kids' work. But, you know, there are people in this church who don't have kids in the kids' work here, who have honored our kids in this church by helping out with the kids' work. You know, I mean, a huge thank you to them, that is an amazing way of honoring the children in this church. We talk about, you know, our children in the church are the church of today, not of tomorrow. There's no junior Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit. But what does that look like if honor has to, you know, look like something? You know, that's people giving up their time, and particularly people who don't even have kids in the kids' work, giving up their time to look after their kids. That's amazing. So thank you. Going back to honor, how are we getting on with our boss at work? You know, what does honoring your boss at work look like? In the New Testament, even, um, even slaves were challenged to honor their bosses. What does it look like? Do you get involved with all the gossip going on or do you keep yourself apart from it? And one lady came up to me last night and she said, the other thing you didn't say was, what about bosses? How do you honor the people in your companies? You know, it works both ways. How do we honor one another? The leaders of our country, are you were uh, Theresa May fan or are you a Jeremy Corbyn fan? Because I can guarantee if you're, you're a Corbynite, you're probably not going to like much of what Theresa May has to offer and vice versa. But actually, they are both put in those positions by God and, and we are to honour them. We don't have to agree with their politics, but actually we are called to honour them. We're called to pray for them. We're called to not stick all the slaggy off memes on Facebook because actually we're called to honour them. And what about the leaders in our church? How are we honouring the leaders in our church? If honour has to look like something, what does that look like? You know, we've got some amazing people, some amazing men in leadership in this church. But one of the things, you know, if honour has to look like something, they've been cleaning this church for eight years and more, I'm sure, some of them. You know... Is that right? How can we honor them in doing that? There was a, a post put out recently saying, you know, I'm, I'm tired, I, I, I'm tired. These aren't people and I know them. They're not people who are looking for other things to do. They've got plenty going on. You know, what does honouring our leaders look like? I mean, can we can we take the cleaning off them? Or can we put our hands in our pockets and pay a bit more so in our tithes and our offerings so that we can get a cleaner in this place? You know, if honour has to look like something, how are we honouring our leaders in church? But the caveat to all of this is it has to come from a place of identity. Because if you don't know who you are, don't do any of those things. Because if you come to clean this church and you're beavering away in the toilets, cleaning the toilet, and um, you've not got that that knowledge of who you are, and you're not doing it with that foundation of identity in your life, you're going to be beavering, beavering away in that loo, and it's going to be gleaming, and you're going to be so chuffed, and you're going to be waiting for someone to say, wow, Liz, well done. That toilet is sparkling. But if you're not doing it from a place of identity, and nobody comes along and says, "Wow, Liz, that toilet's sparkling. Well done," you're going to get really naffed off, because you're going to be, you know, week one, you know, nobody said anything. It's all right. Week two, still no one said anything. You know, week three, nobody said anything. Nobody's noticed that that toilet is the cleanest it has ever been. And actually, the reality is, if you don't know who you are, you're going to be looking for praise and, and your, your sense of worth in all the wrong places. You need to look to him for your sense of identity. And actually, if you know who you are, you'll be cleaning that toilet and nobody says anything. That's okay because actually I know who I am and I'm doing it because I want to bless this church. I want to bless the people. Conversely, if we've got a really good culture of honor going, people notice it and they say, Liz, was that you? That's great. You know, and that's good. That's fine. But you have to know who you are. And the fruit of honor is dreamers being free to dream. It's love. It's an environment of love, loving one another, preferring one another. It's a place of forgiveness, being the first to say sorry, going out of your way to forgive. It's a place of freedom, in my case, of becoming unsquashed. It's a place of covenant with one another and with God. God restored everything to Naomi and Ruth and more as they received wealth and heir and restoration of their family line. And in Ruth chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David." And so we see in this story, this story of honor, this story of self-sacrifice, God bring complete restoration, giving wealth back to these women who had absolutely nothing. They were gleaning the leftovers in the field. We see the restoration of the family line as, as, this, as this son is born. And not only that, because we know the other bit of the story that they didn't is that, that David came from their family line and then in turn Jesus. So there's some, you know, ama- it's an amazing story about honour. It's an amazing story about what that looks like and how that can impact the environment around us and the blessing that we as individuals have from that. And I'd really like in closing to invite people up for prayer. And specifically, if you were struggling, loving yourself and knowing who you are, then I want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, then come up so we can talk you through what that looks like and and pray with you. If you're struggling in your relationships in bringing honour to certain relationships, we want to pray with you. And I'd also like to invite Nick up if that's okay, because Nick um, had a prophetic word that I think really fits in with this and and again is something that we can pray into at the end. Do you want to just use this? (laughs) mm <laughs>